Hungry Homies, if you love to score amazing deals at incredible hotels, you will love Hotel Tonight. We've talked about it here on House of Carbs. Hotel Tonight partners with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, helping you find sweet deals at cool, top-rated hotels. Even though their name is Hotel Tonight, you can also book in advance for spontaneous weekend getaways, staycations, three-day weekends, road trips, business bookings, and more. It is easy. You book hotels in 10 seconds. It's just three taps and a swipe. Get the Hotel Tonight app now to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. That's Hotel Tonight, the only booking app you need. Taste Buds, today's House of Carbs also brought to you by some new friends, Back Blaze. Backblaze is unlimited cloud backup for Macs and PCs for, get this, just $5 a month. Backblaze backs up documents, music, photos, videos, drawings, projects, everything. You can access all your data anywhere in the world, on the web, or on the go by way of your phone. Best of all, you can restore just one file or all your files. The choice is yours depending on what you need. Backblaze is gimmick-free. There are no additional charges. It's just 5 bucks a month for full backups. Make sure you visit backblaze.com slash carbs so they know where you came from and continue to support this fine show. Receive for yourself a fully featured 15-day free trial at backblaze.com slash carbs. Go there, play with it, start protecting yourself from potential bad times. Start today, backblaze.com slash carbs. Get on it today. Oh yeah. Taste buds, hungry homies, famished friends, culinary comrades, we have done it. We are back. It is another edition of House of Cards. Part of the, the Ringer Podcast Network. As you know, my friends, this is the food podcast for the hungry homies by the hungry homies. I am your hungry host, Joe House. How about today's show? We are on a bit of a meaty run, my hungry homies. Summer is upon us. I just want to go outside and grill, grill, grill. A couple weeks ago, Pat Lafreda, meat purveyor, helped us think about the cuts that we might put on the grill, helped us think about grilling techniques. This week, the very own, our very own Adam Perry Lang is on giving us wonderful insights to his own approach to summer grilling, as well as a lot of background on his brand new restaurant in Los Angeles. Of course, there's food news, three hot stories this week, an A1 meat-scented candle, Mellow's investment strategies in the food world, and Cola Coca. But before we get to that, let's get in that belly with A-P-L. All right, my hungry homies, my taste buds, we are very lucky. This is two consecutive shows 
with really meaty guests. We had Pat Lafreda, Lafreda's meat purveyors, a couple weeks ago. And now the today's guest, this gentleman, I mean, he really needs no introduction, but we'll go ahead and provide one anyways, because that's what we do here on House of Carbs. Classically trained chef in French cuisine, cookbook author, virtuoso practitioner of the barbecue arts, a pioneer in bringing barbecue into the city. He has a brand new restaurant in Los Angeles. I saved the credential that's most interesting to me and the one I want to kick off with, Adam Perry Lang, blacksmith. Welcome to House of Carbs. Wow, man. What an intro. Thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled. I, I'm thrilled. We're, we're thrilled. We're honored. Now, you know that we've been talking about trying to get you on here, and we wanted to time it with uh, the debut of your no, new restaurant, and we've been we eyeballing having you come on uh, since midsummer last year. I mean this as kindly as possible. What the hell took so long? My gosh, you know, I thought I had it all together when it comes to building a restaurant, you know, used to New York, but LA is a little bit different. And, um, but listen, at the end of the day, it's just experience about your construction delays. But at the end of the day, if I had opened up the restaurant that I did a year ago, it wouldn't be as good as the one today. So at least I can sleep at night feeling good because I, I, I just love this place and everything that's, that's coming out of it. I'm excited to talk about it, APL, but, but before we get to the restaurant, I had this incredible revelation about the forge and the knives and the, and the training. Can we just jump in there? How did you get into making knives? Well, you know, this is how it came. You know, at the end of the day, I have a knife in my hand every single day. So it's really an extension of myself and having a sharp blade as a constant I mean, if you're used to a dull blade, then I guess it's okay. But having a sharp blade as a constant to do what you want it to do for you, is, it's a real blessing. And you got to work for it. And I love it. I got to this point after I opened up my restaurant in London, I started to notice certain things. I'm a process guy. I love process. And I spend all this time, like over a year to find the, the right type of ranchers and the, the right animals. They raise them for just shy of two years, and then they go to the abattoir, and then it gets to me, and then I dry age it for three months, and then we cook it, and then we put it on the plate in front of the customer, and then what happens? They have to cut the steak. And I was increasingly dissatisfied with the last point of contact that people have with the steak, which is the knife. And there was either just two products on the market that I saw, either your typical, you know, $12 knife that is serrated that you'd find in every major steakhouse, or you would find a very highfalutin knife, which was very intimidating and too precious. And so I, I just set out to myself, I was like, I can do this. And, and I love knives. And when I sold my business in London, I just said, you know what, I'm going to take a year, I'm going to learn bladesmithing. And I found the three best schools. And the number one was the one I went to. It's in Auburn, Maine. It's the New England School of Metalwork. And that's where I started my journey. And did you physically go there and live there while you studied? Yeah, well, it, I did. But it's it's the kind of thing where they have these different classes, so you would enroll. So the first classes that I would do, I'd fly out to Auburn, Maine. I was there for two weeks. And I would live, and I lived 
bunk bed with, I guess there was, must have been like a 24-year-old uh, welding student, you know, because there's another program at the school over there. And um, she had a room like I was in college. And uh, my first class was smelting iron or to make crucible steel. And that's exactly what we did. And I had this amazing instructor, Rick Furr, who is on Nova specials, et cetera. And I was working, I was surrounding myself with these incredible metallurgists and um, learning a new craft. Again, process is what drives me. I love being curious, inquisitive, and mastering things. Okay, let's, let's fast forward to present day. You have a forge in your workshop in Southern California that gets up to 2,500 degrees. That, that, tell us, did you build that yourself? or How did you get this thing into your workshop? Great questions. My first shop, which was a 2,000 square foot shop in Lawndale, um, I outgrew that. Um, most of my equipment, it was good to make knives, but not to do the type of production where I'm killing off 320 knives, which is what we did for the restaurant. And uh, one of my mentors, whom I met through Rick Fur, this guy Casey Lund, um, he became my business partner um, just by virtue of the fact he's a master swordsmith and he turned around and Here's a guy who'd make these relic pieces, fantastic pieces that he would sharpen to a razor's edge and the steel, which is the hardness of the blade, which is the sole of the blade. It would be totally not recognized because he'd make these swords and they would just be hung up on the wall. So here's a guy who's passionate, well over 20 something years of experience making, you know, swords and blades. And he has no real outlet to get his steel tested. And I walk in and he's a food aficionado and I was, I really just wanted to uh, to buy a molten um, salt tank to do my heat heat treat tempering on the blades, and he started talking about blowing myself up, and I'm like, you know what? Look, let me maybe I'll team up with you, <laughs> <laughs> which is what we did, and and we just started to like knock out prototypes, and we started with stainless steel Damascus. I cranked out forty blades, and I just said, I'm not going to make it. For the amount of time that I'm spending into each blade, it's going to become so precious that I'm going to literally stand over the diner saying, don't steal the blade. So yeah. I went to um, a better steel, um, and, it, and the, blade, the, the actual blade edge wasn't as good as, I didn't think it was the best knife. So I ended up getting an import, uh, a special steel imported from Sweden, AEB-L stainless, which is used to make razors, um, straight edge razors. Um, and... Um, off we went. We created the amazing knives of APL Restaurant. It's called the APL Felony Knife, by the way. That's that's right. Let's talk about those felony knives. They are they're available for purchase for $950 because that is the threshold by which if, if one of these knives was to disappear, the person committing such a, such a theft could be charged with, with a felony. Am I right about that? Yeah, in the state of California. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, and it's working. I've only sold two, but I have to tell you, it's not really, it's not priced to sell. It's priced as a deterrent. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, right. I made the 320, I made the 320 knives, and at the end of the day, you know, no one pays a dime for it if they return it. I just want my customers and my friends to enjoy beautiful things and not let two or three people who are kleptos um, ruin the party. And and um, those people who steal it or think it's cute, they'll be dealt with or not. Who knows? But I got to I got to go down fighting. <laughs> so far, so good. Right. APL, all the knives are still in your inventory. 
hundred percent. I don't want to tempt anybody out there. It could be a compulsion for somebody. It could be like at the end of like a big scavenger hunt for a fraternity or something to steal a knife from me. So I don't want to get at the end of the day, I just want to stay in my kitchen. So, you know, um, I like to make blades, but not because I need to replace them. I like to make blades because I want to be creative and do new things or whatever, you know? Right, right. Exactly. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about the restaurant. What was the inspiration sure. for, um, you know, your, your reputation obviously is, is, is a meaty one and everybody knows you from uh, your barbecue background. So what was the inspiration for a, for a brasserie, for a steakhouse concept in Los Angeles? Well, I can answer it a couple of different ways. First and foremost, um, uh, you know, even just the name APL, I, I just, and it says established 1969, which is the year that I was born. You know, the, the concept of putting, yeah, you know, the con, the context of like just even putting my name on the door was very daunting. You know, I've spent my entire career being very um, humble and, you know, that's where I came from. And, uh, you know, my good friend, he came to me and he says, you should call it APL. And I'm like, I don't know. He's like, listen, this restaurant is you. You should do it. And I started to reflect on it and it started to make sense. Because at the end of the day, this restaurant and the menu, if you're saying what it is, you want to call it a steakhouse. To me, it's a neighborhood restaurant. And um, our specialty is really making people feel good. I mean, you can turn around and you can say my specialty is beef because, quite frankly, that's the thing I'm most passionate about. But this restaurant was a combination of how I wanted to make people feel and feel welcomed, but also really for myself just to showcase a whole list of craveable foods, not just like, you know, style of food. I just want to create food that's craveable. People that will just, that just like they have to have it or they miss it. They walk into the place and it could just be the perfect shrimp cocktail. It could just be the perfect dry aged steak, the perfect Caesar salad. You know, that's really was my motivation. And that really encompasses what I'm about. I really, I strive for perfection. Um, I enjoy being a perfectionist, although I've, you know, you can't really attain it, but at the end of the day, you have to reach for it. And I enjoy process. So putting my name on the door was a logical thing. And, and the restaurants really, people coined it a steakhouse and I'm okay in that category because it makes sense, but I just don't want it to be exclusionary, not only for price, but also, be, you know, for, for a young couple, it's a non-exclusionary menu. We have pathways there. Look, you can spend 150 a person at my restaurant, but I also want a couple who orders a bottle, $40 bottle of Bordeaux, which I have on the menu, be able to come in and for $120, they can actually get in and out and have a nice date. So, I mean, that's what it's really about for me. Yeah. And there's, there's a, an additional element to that uh, accessibility which is the takeout. It's not a counter. It's, it is a physical space, though, um, housed in the same uh, platform yeah. as the restaurant. Describe uh, for the Hungry Homies sure. where, where that is and, and what the idea was behind that. No, it's great. And you're jumping. I, you know, I, I actually had this great opportunity. It's not open yet. It's going to be open, uh, I think, mid-June we'll probably do it quite shortly because we were held up for the health department, wanted us to put in a automatic like closing window. But basically I inherited a 62 square foot. It was a former one chair barbershop oh. and um, it had a, a, a door right to the, the street. And this, this restaurant so nostalgic for me. I mean, I have things from Brooklyn, from my childhood, everything makes sense. 
at the end of the day, it's, it's locked in. It's not like eating at a bar mitzvah. You're not going to get sushi and a steak, but it's very clear and defined. But one of the things I really be, um, came to love was street food. I had nine push carts on the streets of Manhattan in early 2000. And um, I love that direct customer interaction. It's gritty. And so this thing was really the closest thing. I wanted to create almost like a New York style pizza window, like a slice and ice type of place. Yeah. But serve my, my, my barbecue in the form of, I call it a Texas toast taco. So it's, it's a uh, thick piece of toasted bread that's folded in half. And I put these beautiful slices of beef that are barbecued, um, oh. mostly short rib chuck as well. And then I, um, I, put a pickled salad and, you know, I put it at a very reasonable um, pedestrian price point. And then the other thing, which I'm really, I'm only selling two things. The other thing I'm selling is the ultimate chili dog, um, hand cut chuck, chamayo, New Mexican chili, um, you know, similar to a chili that I've done, not only written in my book, Serious Barbecue, but that I sold successfully on the streets of New York. I think the chili dog is, is so LA, um, you know, you hear about chili dogs, but they're not, uh, look, I don't want to knock it too much, but they're not very good. They're not cared for. It's not done with true intention. It's just really more um, novelty as far as I'm concerned. I think a great chili dog, when you eat, that's fantastic. And you actually feel good after is one of the, the greatest. I even said to Bill Simmons, I said, like, that's going to be my last meal as uh, a hot dog, hopefully, if I have a choice. Well, let's let's have that um, quick tangent. I pulled up in the, in the research for this uh, interview with you today. You appeared on the Ringer uh, website um, talking about your last meal on Earth, yeah. and it was a very specific meal, and it and it featured yes. hot dogs. And I I, I yes. was going to ask you if you would walk us through kind of the the mindset there. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> believe it or not, I mean I've. I've always loved the hot dog, but I think I really got hooked in when, when I was a kid, I think I was maybe like 14 years old. I was working in the night shift at, uh, at seven 11, just off of Jericho oh. turnpike in, in New York. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I was in charge of the hot dog roller and I was pretty hungry. So I would eat a lot of hot dogs. So, um, you know, hot dogs for me was, it was like sustenance for a while, but I learned to really love it. At the end of the day, it's like the perfectly seasoned food. Papaya King in New York City is an institution. So I would have this ritual whenever I fly into New York of, of a hot dog, and it has to be made a specific way. Did you want me to get into how it should be prepared? Yes, yes, of course. It's Adam Perry Lang okay. talking about how the proper way to prepare a hot dog. F okay. yes, pal. It's, it needs to be on a dry griddle, okay? And you need to put not one hot dog. You need to put a whole, at least eight to nine of them, Okay. And you put them side by side and you put them flat on the griddle and the griddle's at the lowest setting. Okay. Oh. And okay. you go so slow. Okay. Oh. And as you go slow, after a couple of minutes, you put your hand, you put your whole hand on the whole um, line of hot dogs and you kind of just pull your hand towards you like a half inch. So you keep rotating and you, you crisp out the sides. So the fat from the inside fries out the casing on the outside as opposed to frying from oil from the outside in. Okay. Oh, interesting. The hot, the hot dog bun, it can't be hot. It's gotta be, you can make it hot, but quite frankly, it's gotta be not too hot because then it disappears. It needs to be at a counterbalance to the hot dog. So you need yeah. to have some contrast. Um, but do you, do you have any requirements? 
in terms of the bread, does it have to be a potato roll uh, based, or is it is white is a white uh, hot dog bun uh, perfectly satisfactory? It's totally fine. It's really just textural. In fact, you don't want it too sweet. I mean, at okay. the end of the day, look, I love a good Hawaiian roll, but I think it just detracts from it. It's about the beef, about the seasoned beef, and it's 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 like a carrying vessel, and it has just to be textural. Um, and then, but the whole argument on toppings is always such a thing. Personally, for me, I'm in LA and I'm doing the chili dog, but my ultimate is really uh, mustard and sauerkraut. And um, my friend Chris Bianco, he said, he said you can tell a lot about a person by the mustard they choose. And I have to tell you, I agree with him because you know it has to be spicy brown like Goulden's mustard on a hot dog. It cannot be ballpark mustard. I'm sorry. I will. I, I actually I will reject the hot dog if it's ballpark mustard. <laughs> <laughs> now, what do you do? Can you get spicy mustard like that uh, out there in L.A. at Dodger Stadium? Because the Dodger dogs are legendary. Can you get that that proper mustard there? Yeah, they're legendary, but they don't they don't give the love, so I pass. You know. Um, ah, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I don't waste my time with it. I, I mean, I think that it could be really good, but I think they're tied up in volume. I got you. Is, is there any ballpark dog out there that you would sanction that gets the APL stamp of approval? Not yet. Hopefully, if they let uh-huh. me do it one day, perhaps they'll allow me a small stand. I'd gladly do a limited supply of hot dogs correctly. Absolutely. Yeah. How have you not gotten that invite? It's APL for Christ's sakes. I, don't, I think this is the first time I've ever put it out there. So, um, you know, let's see who bites. Yeah, right. I mean, we'll, we'll find out. The power of House of Carbs. Uh, you know, vendors, uh, vendors of the world, APL is available and he's going to make a proper Give me a dog. shot. Let me change the world. One hot dog That's at a time. It. One hot dog <laughs> at a time. Um, we've been talking about your, uh, residency in, in Southern California. I know you're a New Yorker by birth. How long have you been, uh, out in that LA, the greater LA area now? Well, I've been here six years now, and I'm not going anywhere. I mean, this is this place is like just a warm bath. I mean, it's 72 and sunny. It's fantastic. I'm not moving. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break from this outstanding chat with our boy APL to hear from our friends at Bombas. Support for today's show comes from Bombas, the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. I've got them on my feet right now. After two years of research and development, Bombas has re-engineered socks with innovations to make them way more comfortable. I don't know how they did it, but listen to what they did. The honeycomb arch support system provides extra support where you need it most. Stay up technology ensures the stocks stay in place but never leave a mark. And the super soft cotton material keeps you warm in the winter, cool in the summer. I wear these dogs inside of my golf shoes and I'm out there on the golf course walking quite comfortably in these wonderful bombas. Better yet, because socks are the most requested item in homeless shelters. Bombas donates one pair of socks for every pair they sell. That's very cool. Over 7 million pairs so far. Now, my friends, House of Carbs listeners can get 20% off your first order. Just go to bombas.com slash carbs and use the code carbs. That's C-A-R-B-S. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash carbs and use the code carbs. Get yourself 20% off your first order. 
Well, here's what I'm what I'm interested in, and I was lucky enough to be on an email string with you uh, back in like August of last year, um, where we there was an exchange of ideas around places to go visit in the San San Gabriel San Gabriel. Oh Valley. my God! Yeah. Um, and so you, you, as a, as a transplant, um, now I'm sure that you've eaten in LA before you, you moved to LA, but, uh, let's start with the San Gabriel Valley. Um, what is it about the, the food there? I have my own take, my own experience. It was the first time I'd ever been there was August of 2017. What is it about what's going on there that, um, makes it so, uh, unique in, in your experience? Well, I'm just a big dope because it, because I lived here for for a good four and a half years, like a schnook, thinking that there's no good Chinese food out here, thinking, you know, New York, Chinatown, you know, this whole nonsense, right? Yeah. And then I got this friend who's a food writer, okay, Javier Cabral. And okay. um, at the time he was writing, I think, for Vice, and um, I think he's freelance now, but I had like four days and I just said, Javier, I know, look, you have to educate me. I think I got it all wrong. Um, I've been seeing some posts on Instagram and there just seems like there's some great stuff out there and, and I'm ready to go out. So he spent a few days taking me around San Gabriel Valley and man, I was, I, I, it's the best Chinese food I've ever had in my life. It's, it's actually, it inspires me. I mean, the textures, the sweet, sour, fantastic, and in no nonsense, very affordable way. What's so interesting about San Gabriel Valley is there's such a con- um, concentration of uh, Chinese American people, uh, biggest judges of all. I mean, if you know, I want to go to a place where the locals eat and um, that's convenient and not big, too big of a fuss. And there are so many. There's things in San Gabriel Valley that I had no idea were even Chinese food. I mean, like these numb your lips lamb ribs or having these these crazy clear broths with, with a sole and Sichuan peppercorns. And I, I mean, I've just, I can't even get enough of it, quite frankly. It, it's, it's, I'm having a moment, quite frankly, with LA. <laughs> well, that's, that's interesting, right? So uh, you were there, you didn't know that this place really, really existed. You, you uh, submitted yourself to a, a, a proper emissary. Um, yeah. Are there other kinds of cuisines out in L.A. that you've had a similar kind of uh, revelation around? Oh, my gosh. Mexican food has been has uh, has has blown me away. The things um, there's one place, for example, I love flour tortillas. There's one place downtown called um, Senora Town, Senora Town, excuse me, Senora Town that it, it it will blow your mind if anybody out there has the opportunity to have to go there. But not only that, I mean, you can literally bounce around. You can find a food truck that has this incredibly novel shrimp taco. They put a shrimp paste in it, put the, um, the soft taco shell and drop it in the fryer. And it's just like crunchy shell. It's like shrimp toast and, and on another level. Um, uh, went to one place in East L.A., um, they hack up a whole pig and they're stewing it in these giant pots over propane burners inside a building. And I'm like, what, you know, what's going, I mean, I can go on and on and on. Korean food is off the charts here. Also, there's some tremendous foods that I love ethnic foods. So there's tremendous food, Vietnamese food. I mean, we can just go down the list. There's so many. And I'm fortunate to have friends and an open mind to experience it all. 
Yeah, and th- that's uh, kind of what I was interested in 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 uh, you know getting getting to the bottom of a, a little bit. Um, there there has been, and maybe it's it's uh, well, it's definitely an element of um, how this show, House of Carbs, has come to be, and with uh, the the whole production team in LA and I've been out a few times to visit but it feels like LA over the last 18 months or so is having this this kind of moment of being recognized all of these um, diverse cuisines with diverse traditions have existed and resided in LA for a long time but they are just over the last you know um, maybe even a couple of years it seems starting to get the prominence that they deserve, starting to get the recognition they deserve. I mean, Jonathan Gold has been proselytizing um, for, for, for years. I mean, I think he just did a thing uh, at the he's end of last food, year. He's like, he's LA's food messiah. Right, right. Uh, I mean, and the, he and the, goes into places, any, any um, person that can go in and, and literally eat in a place knowing that there's probably a one in 10 chance it's not going to be good, but you're going to go anyway. I mean, it's really a true pioneer. The guy blows me away. So how would you compare, you're in LA, uh, but you obviously get back to New York, uh, and, and it's a ridiculous question. I'm, I'm conceding it <laughs> up front, but we love, everybody loves rankings. Everybody wants to know yeah, a sure. ranking. How, are you, how would sure. you compare what's going on in LA right now with, with kind of what you were observing in New York? In what respect? Um, the uh, the the uh, diversity of of cuisines and you know um, previously uh, unrecognized okay. cuisines coming to the fore. Sure, I mean I think that you know L.A. and New York are really similar in the sense that they're major cities that are hubs for tremendous uh, uh, immigrant populations that uh, bring in native foods, which are incredibly interesting. So I think that they're, they're even on that front. What I do think is interesting is LA is, is being recognized more, although it's been here all the time because yeah. we've typically looked for the metropolis to really give us the answers. But right now what's happening in New York is it's a horrible situation is that real estate and landlords are really pushing and pushing and pushing the beacons of communities, which is the, the restaurants out. And, you know, some of the best Restaurant locations have become CVS or Walgreens, and and that is a that's a tragedy. Where here in LA, literally the best produce in the world, the best access to the hub, and also it's it's a cornerstone for so many as an entry point for so many immigrants. It it literally since it rivals it, but now we've we've got the markets that being more and more recognized, and the fact that people are, you know considering the times we're living in, you know, we're looking for more comfort foods and we're looking for things that are true and honest and, and, and deliver and actually are reasonably in, in price, reasonable in price. You know, LA is just so ripe. I, I just can't even believe, I like to say that, I mean, I'm a, I'm like, there's a wave happening, but that would be disrespectful to people that have been here all this time, because quite right. frankly, LA has been fantastic for, for well before I got here and well before this conversation is happening. It's just being recognized to say like, hey, we've got incredible stuff, world-class stuff right here. So um, I'm just proud to be part of it. What, what made you set up camp in LA six years ago? I think for me, I, I have a restaurant in, in Vegas and you know, I, was, I had opened up a place in London. I was commuting um, every so often back and forth and 
I did Jimmy Kimmel's show in 2007, I think, for the first time, and we became uh, great friends right off the bat. And so when I would fly in, I would instead fly into Los Angeles as opposed to Vegas. And so we would hang out, and I'd look at him as like, is it really this good? He's like 17th and sunny. I'm like, I said, one day, I want to make it back here. And I think that when I made the decision to move back to the States, that L.A. just seemed so appealing. And that's really where it came from. Okay. That 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 um, makes plenty of sense to me. It's it's uh, the most um, basic of answers. It's the weather dummy, but everybody. It all is, my though. East Coast, I mean. Yeah. All, all my East Coast I mean, friends. I, I, I want to say. There, they were not moving. I mean, I, I want to say like, oh, I came here because of the markets and everything. I was like, but I, I don't really think about myself as a chef of having to gravitate towards things like that. I like to, there's always mouths to feed wherever you go. It really comes down to what's the environment you want to hang out in and be in yourself and everything falls into place. And LA felt right to me. I, I, I get it. It makes all the sense in the world. Speaking of mouths to feed, one of the things that we wanted to cover with you, um, it is finally getting warm enough here on the East Coast. Uh, I can't even believe you haven't asked me about dry aged beef. It's pretty amazing. Well, I, I'm I'm gonna I, I, let's 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 get there first. I mean, I think this goes I, I right along you were with closing up. I, I thought you were closing up because you can't no like not way. talk about my favorite subject. But please carry yeah. on. I'm sorry, I don't want to cut you no. off, but I want to make sure we touch upon that. Okay. Oh, you of course, of course, you've got okay. it. You're <laughs> the star of the show. He, he, let's talk about dry aged beef in the context of of this question. It's finally like grilling season here on the East Coast. Yeah. People, we can finally go yeah. outside, get out our grills, clean them, scrape the stuff off from last fall. At least I'm speaking for myself. I, I'm not yeah. great about it, but uh, you know, it's it's time to start cooking out. I wanted to get some suggestions from you. What's like at the top of of, of mind right now for you in terms of of grilling? You have the luxury of grilling inside or outside whenever and wherever the the mood strikes. That we don't have that here on the East Coast. Let's talk about first your love of dry aged beef and and okay. what would be a, a great approach to dry aged beef on the grill potentially. Fantastic. Well, you know it's a great question, and people are like. Sometimes when it comes to dry-aged beef, and dry-aged beef, just so it's clear, i just give you a quick definition of what dry-aged beef is. There's wet-age and dry-age, and dry-age just means that it's basically allowed to relax and tenderize and flavorize outside of a plastic bag. So you have to, to create dry-age correctly, you have to control three things, temperature, humidity, and air velocity. I call it environmental chamber, and that's my specialty. Um, Depending on who you buy it from, is going to. It's not only just this is dry age; it's whose dry age is going to really impact how good it's going to be. My dry age smells like foie gras. It has just a great sweet scent, and it's only it's aged as long as a hundred days. It has no funk. You know, it's just huh. beef umami. Whereas okay. wet age sometimes is actually better than that. Sometimes you know, just like if you're drinking a wine that's like heavy oak, you know, you want that flavor. But other times you might enjoy a wine that is aged in a steel cask. They're both very good, but just just appropriate for different occasions. So the other side is wet-aged beef. And from wet-aged beef, instead of getting like dry and raisinated and intense in flavor, you're going to get something that's more juicy, less concentrated, and not as flavorful. And sometimes that's more appropriate. For example, if you're going to throw it on the grill where you're going to get that wood flavor, that's a great time. Or if you're going to do a marinade, wet-aged steak is your friend. 
I personally have grown out of the concept of, if I have a choice, that is, of cooking dry-aged steak on wood. I think it's too much of a good thing. And I think oh. that wood is distracting from dry age. But I do cook it on the grill. And how I do that, and I want to give advice to people, is yes, I get please. one of those cat those cast iron grill pans, which are, you know, flat. It's, it's, it's has grill marks on one side and it's got flat on the other. Put that on your grill and literally put that dry aged steak right onto that grill, no fat and, and be prepared to dab up the fat with a towel and just cook it on one side. Don't move it for like seven to eight minutes. If you have an inch and a half thick steak and then flip it over. And when you flip it over, rub it with a little bit of butter and dab up the, the, uh, the fat again, do it the same as the other side. You can't lose. That's that's as simple as directions as I can give, and I promise you can do that all summer. You make everybody happy. And you didn't. There was no uh, salt or pepper or any of that kind of thing, right? Well, of Just course, salt and pepper. I mean, come on. I mean, okay. I, 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 I can't. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you know, and and, and uh, is there? Would you? Do you uh, wait to put the pepper? Do you wait to put the salt? The salt goes on before. Like, is there a? You're um... asking great questions. I'm being a real idiot because I'm assuming. And so let me be clear. You, you season it for a thick steak. You really season it almost like a salted pretzel. I mean, very aggressive with the salt because if you think about how much that salty crust is going to season, you've got an inch and a half of meat underneath it. So you can go very, very aggressive. Okay, heavy salt, heavy pepper. Ideally, right before you're going to grill because. You don't want to put the salt on before because it's going to pull out moisture, potentially okay. making the outside of the crust a little bit dry. You don't want that. It's not going to dry out the whole steak. Don't get crazy. But is it going to be the best? No. To be the best, you have to really season it right before, salt and pepper, pat it with your hands, maybe just a little dampness of your hands just to like wet it a little bit, make it stick, and then you put it face down right on the grill. I love it. Now, now let's talk yeah. about how you're doing your dry, dry aged beef in your restaurant. And and I think sure. we need to tell the hungry homies you have, um, you described a, a, a climate controlled uh, approach to, to get the dry aged perfect. You you possess such a a, uh, a room physically yes. uh, located underneath the restaurant. Is that right? That's correct. Now, I, I don't know if too many people that do this. A lot of people will receive in dry age, but it's usually dry age outside and they bring it in for the last week, which for me, it doesn't make sense. If you're going to be a steak focused restaurant and your, your point of difference is really steak, make the commitment that I have a thousand square feet, like as big as the New York City apartment downstairs, which houses uh, 22,000 pounds of beef, which is a three month supply. And I started actually purchasing this beef on uh, January 9th. Um, I, I purchased it direct from the abattoir, and it gets shipped outside of a plastic bag directly to me. The true city-dressed beef, which is, in fact, um, to me, is so old school. Um, and uh, you don't get flavors um, like you do um, outside of my beef uh, because I have a very kind of old-school approach to it. I approach the environment very much like I call it an environmental chamber, but... For lack of a better term, it's like a cheese cave. So like if you were to go to France and you turn around and you say, oh, I'd like goat cheese. You know, people look at you like, well, what kind? Where do you get it from? It's the same thing with dry age. You know, mm. someone's 100-day dry age is not going to be the same as mine. I mean, if they have a very wet environment, it's going to taste very funky. You know, if, if they have too dry of an environment, it could taste too raisinated. So I've created over the past 17 years a system, a flavor profile, a culture inside of my walk-in dry age room that that is uniquely APL. Uh-huh. 
Um, you you mentioned uh, having the meat shipped to you uh, plastic free. Does that mean that you are purchasing locally, or are you able to to no, get it? No, not at uh, all. I get okay. no. I get the best beef in America, basically, and I I, I move between several places. This could be Nebraska, um, which which I got a lot of my beef from for this round because it was just so darn good. But yeah. it could be comes from New Utah, could come from Idaho, it could come from Washington State. Um, you know, I go to where the best ranchers are getting the best beef and people talk about, Oh, a low impact. What look, the truck's moving anyway. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to get my stuff on the truck and I'm going to make sure it's the best locally. I'll get vegetables, which have a real true impact on the transportation and the impact of the vegetable, or if I'm supporting a local farmer, but for, for in terms of dealing in the altitude that I have in terms of quality, I need to deal within the best because if you're going to spend a considerable amount of money on a piece of meat, I get the messaging, but it's got to be freaking great. Okay. Yeah. So I'm interested in just skimming the cream off the top when I'm selecting my beef, working with people that I worked again for over 17 years purchasing from. And, um, and it's about relationships. So, um, that's how I, I start with the best product and then it's ultimately it's in my hands to make sure it's aged correctly and it's cooked well. So let's, let's end with that. The cooked well part you were, I'm, I'm coming to your restaurant. Let's say I can't get there soon enough. Honestly. I mean, I wish I was I coming tomorrow, but Don't um, just pop up. you, you got to let me know when you come in. Promise. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Of course I'll give you plenty of notice. Um, well, I, I, I want, uh, a big piece of meat when I come, let's talk about how you are preparing that, um, that, that piece of meat, you know, how it's seasoned, how it's uh, prepared on the grill and then how it it comes out to me. Sure. Well, first of all, I take it out of the dry age room and I'm the only one who uses the saw because um, uh, each, each cut, it's a new restaurant. We're only two weeks old. Yeah. So each cut that comes out, it's not just the ribeye. Each cut is unique. And um, while we're running around, there's a lot of training to do. And, and saw, the bandsaw is pretty dangerous. So um, I'm the only one who cuts it. And I have people around me that will observe and watch and, and learn. So it starts with just the cutting. And then how it's prepared after it's cut, it's, I, honestly, it's really not very dramatic. I use a double-deck broiler. That It's an infrared broiler that's fed with oxygen, so it gets to temperatures of 1,700 degrees. Oh and what that does is, is that as it, it really chars and browns the outside, the crust, not blackens, but chars and browns. And, you know, when we talk about even just the charring, charring is really important even just for digestion. I mean, if you're having a – it cuts the fat. So people don't realize that. So there's actually a method and a reasoning behind actually using a broiler with a steak. I mean, if you can achieve that, using a 1,700-degree broiler really can guarantee those results. Um, I like it over wood because I can really focus on the browning of the crust. Fine, the temperature's okay, but we're trying to develop a certain flavor profile that's different, that's that's. First and foremost, like I said in the beginning, it's craveable. I'm focused on craveable food. So we talk about this concept of umami, which is the, the last like, taste sensation, which is really savory. Look at what's umami. Anything that's rotting, essentially. Okay, The human body knows, and they, they associate it with digesting. So you'll see like ripe tomatoes, parmesan, mushrooms, 
Worcestershire sauce, anchovies, dry-aged beef. I mean, these are things that basically create that craveable sensation that you want to say, like for me, I want my goal with the customer is not that they're happy only, it's that they're going to come back with somebody and they're going to sit down and the first thing out of their lips is you got to have the dry-aged steak. Mm-hmm. So that's my goal. It's one step past the person actually eating it. It's really how do you elicit that reaction where someone feels so impassioned by it that they're going to want to bring somebody. And that's what our goal is. That's what it's wrapped around. So it's salt and pepper under the broiler. It's literally the steak cooks in six minutes. Okay. I cut all steaks to one inch. I don't Uh do a thick steak because it's about the browning. It's the perfect timing. And quite frankly, it's how my grandmother did it in the bottom broiler of her, her small stove in Brooklyn. And that's why I call it the Brooklyn broil. Aside from my homage to Peter Luger's, it has more to do with my grandmother broiling everything in that drawer, which nowadays just holds pots and pans. But that's right. how we ate a lot of our beef. Oh, incredible. Well, I I, uh, I lied. I said that I wanted to talk about the steak last. You 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 <laughs> reminded me with the with the uh, digestion comment that we have to talk about what you're doing with whiskey at your restaurant. Sure. Because I know that um you you've almost sort of uh, conceived of it as as a between course palate cleanser. It is. Um, it's like the pickled ginger for sushi. Um, it, it literally it breaks breaks down fats in your mouth. It cleans your palate. It get, wake, wakes you up. Otherwise, you're just a big feed bag. If you just keep putting food in your mouth, you're just going to taste it once and you get full. But if you kind of smack it with just a touch of whiskey in between while you eat it, it becomes an experience. Um, give it a try. Um, if, yeah. if you know, from out there, I know you've done it, but you know, whoever's out there, you know, give it a try. It's you know, and I, I recommend a high proof whiskey. You know, I like 103 like barrel cask strength whiskey as opposed to anything blended because you want to have that bite on your lips, you know, the kind of bite that would clean a table. <laughs> right, right. So th- this is uh, uh, what I'm interested in, in, in uh, getting to the bottom of. Do, do you recommend folks to order a single glass and enjoy it over the course of the meal? Does it go uh, uh, can it can it go with appetizers and main or or you know is there, do you say uh, a, a half inch pour for you know sort of this portion and then a quarter inch pour for not I mean what what's the game I, plan? The game plan for me is I just I just keep wetting my lips with it throughout a meal. I don't really drink it to get drunk. I don't put ice in it. Yeah. I want a full strength. So right. I'll typically get a cast strength neat with ice with ice on the side. I might drop a cube in if it gets too sharp. But outside of that, um, I love drinking whiskey. I order from the beginning of my meal to the very end. And whiskey transforms and changes down to the point where when the glass is empty, put your hand on top, hold it for two seconds and remove it. And you smell the residual on the glass. And it's almost like marshmallowy and, and beautiful. So you get to experience the whiskey on every stage. And it's, it's like I said, like it, when you're eating um, sushi, you have pickled ginger pretty much throughout the entire meal. I, I mean it when I say it. It's it's really a fantastic for when it comes to beef or items that are really bold like that. Whiskey for me, cast strength whiskey is 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 really the way to go to enjoy. Well, and I, I think that what you've just described in terms of at the end of it, the bottom of the glass, uh, you take a you take a finger, you put it in there, a little dab behind your ear. Maybe you're with a loved yeah. one. 
and you encourage the loved one, you know, get a little nuzzle in there. And that, now we're talking about the proper dessert for a meal at the APL. Now you're, te- now you're teaching me. I, I, I had no idea. I got it. Now I got to do this next time. Aphrodisiac APL. Believe me, there's a lot of ways we can take this thing. That's Adam awesome. Lang, thank you. Look, everybody who's listening to this, if you're anywhere near the L.A. area, we just broke down the proper order of, of a steak and whiskey. He went through all of the, the steps and all of the love and passion that goes into it. You got to get yourself to APL's new restaurant. I will be there. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a month's notice in advance. So you have plenty of time to prepare. But with twenty two thousand uh, pounds of meat. I think you're in, in good enough shape. I think you can handle it. I think it. so. We're ready for you. I can't wait to see you down here, bud. I, 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 I love it. APL, thank you so much for coming on House of Carbs. We really appreciate it. Great, man. Take care. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right, my friends, huge thanks to APL for giving us that full breakdown of everything that's going on in his world, including those incredible knives. Do not go to his restaurant and steal one unless you intend to go to jail. Today's show, my friends, my hungry homies, brought to you by our pals at Diet Coke. That's right, our pals at Diet Coke. They are shaking things up because change is delicious and because they can. It is the summer. Diet Coke has a bold new look and listen to this, four new delicious flavors. The OG Diet Coke, of course, still has the same great taste. And now they have added feisty cherry, twisted mango, zesty blood orange, and ginger lime to the mix. These are bold flavors You could try and pick a favorite. You can't do it. Everyone has its own particular flavor profile that you are going to enjoy depending on what mood you might be in. Feisty, twisted, zesty, limey. Sure, why not? Whether you are a longtime fan or just the type that wants to try some new things, give Diet Coke a taste and you will see what we are talking about. All right, my famished friends, this week's episode of Food News brought to you by our new friends at Backblaze. Backblaze is unlimited cloud backup for Macs and PCs for just five bucks a month. Backblaze backs up documents, backs up music, backs up photos. Backs up videos, drawings, projects, everything you got on your PC or Mac, they will back it up. Access all your data anywhere in the world, on the web, or on the go on your smartphone. Best of all, you can restore just one file, if that's all you're looking for, or all your files. The choice is yours. Backblaze is gimmick-free. There are no additional charges. It is $5 a month for full backups. How about this? Restore by mail. If you have a complete system failure, my hungry homies, I hope you don't, but if you do, you can purchase a hard drive from Backblaze with all your data on it. They overnight that thing to you via FedEx, and then you can return the drive and get a full refund. That is win-win. How about this? Over 30 billion files restored. That is a lot of returned documents, and memories. Make sure, my friends, you visit backblaze.com slash carbs 
so they know where you came from, and they continue to support this fantastic show of ours. And you, my hungry homies, can receive a fully featured 15-day free trial at backblaze.com slash carbs. Go there, play with it a little bit, familiarize yourself, and start protecting yourself from potential bad times. Start today. All right, my hungry homies, my taste buds, my culinary comrades, it is now time for Food News. Yo, Juliet. Hi, House. What's up? What is up? It feels like a lifetime. I know. How was uh, your trip to North Carolina? It was really, really delicious. Um, that the pool, hard thing. That pool's diner looked real good. Yeah, that macaroni and cheese. I mean, I just might have to put it out there. I'm going to call it the very best macaroni and cheese in these United States of America. Oh, my and God. Then, and then let contenders step up. I mean, I know that there is great macaroni and cheese in the Midwest. I know that there is up in New York City some purveyors of that fine classic dish. But the way that that Ashley Christensen and 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 quick shout out to Ashley Christensen. We're going to get her here on the House of Carbs. I'm hoping to do so very soon. It was a it was a Luke it wasn't a full-on belly takeover of Raleigh cuz I was down there with my family. Um, but I did get to six or seven different establishments. I left on the table another five or six. So I'm excited to talk to Ashley and have her steer me, help 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 me navigate what I what I missed out on. But I I hit the highlights. I know I hit the highlights. I had fried chicken. I had uh, macaroni and, and cheese. I had lamb meatloaf. Ooh. I I had uh, crab donuts. I had cheeseburgers and then there I went to this wonderful place uh Laotian uh cuisine these folks created um this cross purpose restaurant called Brewery Bavana um where the the brother and sister team had a next door Laotian cuisine restaurant they um bought essentially a bar uh started brewing their own beer and also created a beautiful dim sum menu. Whoa. And I I dimmed and I summed. This sounds awesome. Very yeah, cool. Super cool. Top 10 on uh, Andrew Knowlton put it on his top 10 best new restaurants in, in all of the United States of America in 2017. So that kind of a claim. Uh, so interesting food things going on down in Raleigh, North Carolina. It really sounds like it. How delicious. I'm jealous. Yes. Very delicious. That's great. I don't have much of my own food news, but I'm excited about the stories we have on hand today. Well, I saw you. Uh, you were at a celebra- celebration of some sort. Was it a wedding? It was. It was a wedding for one of my camp friends. It was at a camp in the Adirondacks. And it was Adir- like- so you were in New York? Yeah, I was in New York. Okay. It was okay. great. It was great. But we were like at the camp, so I wasn't doing ah. a lot of explore- exploratory eating. Got it, got it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw the Juliet made an appearance. Oh, my God, of course. I had More than th- one. I was embarrassed to go keep going back to the bar because the bartender quickly learned my drink, and I just, <laughs> she was she was kind of patronizing me, so I, I had to send other, other people on my behalf. Does she know who you are? No. Also, I didn't feel she was making the drink strong enough, so one of my friends got me, like, a vodka side cup so I could pour it in. <laughs> right. That makes, that that's perfect. That's the right way to do it. I will tell you, <laughs> Uh, I have been, it is now for me, my sort of 
golf season, which means the the best part of of playing golf uh, for, for me is the drinking afterwards. Um, oh sure, I'm not that that great at the game. It's one one of my I, I enjoy playing, but I also enjoy drinking. It's it's at least fifty fifty. Um, the drink of of the season is the fescue rescue, which is one third Jameson's, one third lemonade, and one third ginger beer. Oh, that sounds great. Pretty good summer refreshment, right? Yeah. So we, we've we've been innovating a little bit. We have added, uh, we've taken out the Jamesons and incorporated in the Maker's Mark. I mean, which is it's just time to explore. It's the season to explore, and and I am finding sometimes the ratios to be a little too sweet. So I'm asking for a floater. Like just this past Friday, I had it Maker's uh, ginger beer, lemonade, little mint, little crushed ice, and then a Maker's floater. For the top, just to get that ratio right, what you're talking about. You needed a vodka cup. I need that extra taste of the makers. Oh, interesting. All right, so a side yeah, a side so. cup's the way to go. Side cup. That's it's side cup season, Jay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Hal. So you ready for the news? Let's talk about some stories. This one's really exciting to me, and it is from the New York Post, and it's about a topic I really care about, and it's about Carmelo Anthony's investments. So. <laughs> he's a businessman. He is. I mean, did you know that he's I've a, seen him. He's an investor in SeatGeek, which is one of my favorite facts about Mello. Well, Seek, we obviously love SeatGeek. We love so SeatGeek. I good, know. That's good, why good, it's exciting. Good move by the businessman Mello. So Carmelo is already an investor in Nobody's Pizza, a South Bronx venue from Keith Rubenstein's real estate empire Somerset, and it is now forming a partnership with the Ainsworth, a 10-year-old chain of pubs owned by Brian Mazza and Matt Shendell. Mello, along with Somerset Hospitality Group, is leading a $5 million investment to roll out a chain of sports bars and pizza joints nationwide. The Ainsworth you might have heard of because it had a viral internet hit. Its controversial 24-carat chicken wings was seen on Jonathan Chibin, a.k.a. Food God, on his Instagram. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, I, I don't care for Jonathan Chibin, so we can just keep it moving. But yeah. Anyway, the plan is to roll out the Ainsworth alongside Nobody's Pizza at between 20 and 30 locations near sports stadiums across the country over the next seven years. They're just beginning to scout locations, but it's likely that the first partnership between the two brands will be in Nashville, where the Ainsworth is already planning to open. Uh, Nobody's Pizza was formerly known as La Grata, with a southern Italian menu created by Serafina chef, or former chef, Arminio Conti. The menu, which features items like pesto linguine and a chicken paillard, has now added mm. crowd pleasers like chicken wings mm. and burgers. Mm. I I think this is a great investment by Mello. I know it can be dicey to invest in uh, the food biz industry and restaurants specifically, but I think this sounds great. And I, I Mello seems to be like a good investor. So here, here's the thing. I'm going to come at this exactly from from that angle. Here, you and I are, I believe, are in unanimity. But hoops mellow, washed, washed, so the, washed, well, totally washed. But but businessman mellow, I like it. Maybe we're. I mean, he has his uh, the 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 penthouse suite. He has the suits. Here's the thing that I wonder about. It's a it's a curiosity of mine. The sports bar uh, uh, market isn't exactly, you know, um, uh, uh, screaming for new entrants. That's true. You know what I mean? Like, That's true. There are there are sports bars situated near stadiums all over this great land of ours. Um, it's not a brand new idea. It's not an innovation. I guess the idea here is they are um, exporting a little bit of uh, New York flavor. I think so. I. I actually kind of disagree because I like a high-end sports bar. Have you ever been to like a bar, Louie? 
Yes. Yeah, sure. That's like middle of the road. I just sort of like, I just think the sports bar could be higher end. Like, I, I don't know. There's often like not really good food options near an arena or a stadium. So I think this is actually smart. Even though there are a lot of sports bars, that's why I think it's a good idea. So you, we, that's the corner that we think they're trying to occupy. We think they're trying to go high end here. Yes, I do. Okay. All right. Well, like for instance, here in D.C., uh, and I don't know how common this is, the um, where the caps, C-A-P-S, caps, 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 where they play, and the Wizards also play in the same venue. The there Verizon is a whole, Center? The, well, it's now called the Capital One Center. Oh. The Capital One Center. Nice. Well, that's terrible. They're, they're doing that. Not me. Um, it has a great variety of high-end and low-end and in-between ends. And there's bars and there's sports theme bars and there's restaurants. Uh, Jose Andres has four different sure. food options down there. And if you want to go have steak, you can go have steak. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. I don't know. that. I know that's true in, in most of the major metropolitan cities. It's true in Chicago. It's true in New York. It's true in L.A. Um, uh, I don't know, like... So I'm not feeling starved for a high end. In fact, the Smith is already down here. The Smith is set up shop. The New York's own Smith set up shop two blocks away. I have a problem from, with the Smith. Uh-oh. It's so noisy in every location. Whatever they do, like with their interior architecture, it just it doesn't have good acoustics. It's so freaking noisy. The one here in D.C., um, took over an already existing space and they modified it. Um, so I haven't encountered that. And it's a humongous bar, which oh, I really appreciate that they got right. And it's basically like a block and a half from the Capital One Center. So I think they got it right. I just wonder about, you know, they, they, this the, the crucial thing for this endeavor of Mello and his team and his people with this is finding, it's all, it's, it's location, location, location. Now he's a businessman. So you think he's, he's going to get that right? I hope so. That that that's the the key to all this working because pizza and high end sports bar, yeah, I think those already are kind of out there. Mello's got some great investments. I'm just looking at his 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 funds investments. They've invested in Casper the mattresses, Juicero, DraftKings, um, SeatGeek, Lyft, and like all, all these companies I've actually heard of, and I'm like, wow, impressive. Him and Ashton Kutcher, yeah. first first movers, the venture capitalists. I like it. Whatever. Good luck to them. You and I are split on this. But that's good. We never disagree. I'm glad to disagree yeah, with you. Yeah. I'm skeptical, but best of luck. Good luck, Mello. On, yeah. to, on to another controversy. In there's, there's a there's, This has to do with Coca-Cola. Okay. And this comes to us from The Sun, one of the UK's finest uh, media companies. <laughs> <laughs> a distillery in a small Spanish town has claimed it invented the original Coca-Cola recipe and now wants recognition. The recipe for what was originally called Cola Coca is reportedly kept in a safe that a safe at Destilerias Ayello in the village of Ayello de Malferiate, south of Valencia, or so the owner Juan Juan Mico, who's 79, claims. And then there's some um, pictures of a jar that has the Cola Coca logo on it. And the story goes on to say, the drink Cola Coca is said to be a precursor to the now world-famous brand. There's no direct proof... But the village's authorities have written to the U.S. company asking permission to publicly explain the connection. The people in the village of just 4,700 inhabitants, that's 4,700, believe the syrup that John Pemberton used in Coca-Cola was originally concocted by the local distillery. The town's mayor told Spanish newspaper El Pais 
everything points to this being the case. There's a lot, and then there's a lot of like advertising that suggests that perhaps it's tied to uh, the earlier drink. Um, and they go on to say, our aim is to get Coca-Cola to acknowledge the project so the town will get recognition. We're not seeking anything more than that. So this is really about um, attention. And as they said, recognition. People in the village believe that Reps from Coca-Cola visited the distillery to buy up Cola Coca, and the owners allegedly sold the brand for between 180 to 300 euros. According to the story, the distillery was opened by three local entrepreneurs 138 years ago. So, House, I just want to go ahead and say... I wouldn't be shocked if this was true. I wouldn't be shocked if this was true either. And kudos to the to the the, the folks. What's the name of the town? The name of the town is Ayello de Malferit, south of Valencia. I hope my Spanish was correct. Shout out to the inhabitants of Alerio del Malfit. I know, right? I mean, who cares whether it's true or not, even though both of us suspect it probably is probably true. Probably is true. Way to make a mark. I know. A town of 4,700 people, it, it, you've created th- this, this cultural identity and very, very shrewd. We're not asking for anything. We just want the recognition. And so now they can go ahead and really trade on, on this w- wonderful story uh, and treat it as though it were true without really having to prove up whether or not it's actually true. All the way to the to the extreme of the the beautiful um, design on the bottle with the you know with the uh, syrup that's po- supposedly in it. I mean, if they concocted the whole thing from whole cloth, that would be fine by me. I I wouldn't sure. care. Yeah, sure. It's a great story, and I and I love the historical antecedent. It goes all the way back. It's 140 years old, and the original founder of of the Coke recipe. They name them by name. You know, we think he visited, and and we think that they exported it, and we're fine with that. And here's our story. It's 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 great. This is you know. I like it too. Uh, also, I feel like Coke is on the way down because of like all the sugar. So I feel like a, a good a good backstory of how it's like an old wonder from the old world would be great. Well, you know, uh, Diet Coke is now a sponsor of House of Carbs. We're going to be doing some how some Diet Coke uh, extolling the virtues here. And you and I have in the past talked about some of the flavors of Diet Coke. Now, I'm I'm actually kind of interested in this summer's variation. There's a cherry one and like a mango one. And there's some, some interesting uh, flavor profiles occurring in this summer's iteration of the Diet Coke kind of summer flavor. And all of this, I don't know whether or not Diet Coke wants me to say this. And obviously we can edit this if it, if it runs <laughs> afoul of their um, strict advertising guidelines. But it looks like you might be able to make some delicious Diet Coke drinks, mixing them with alcoholic beverages. I had with a similar flavors. thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I really think that there's some potential here and we might have to do some taste testing. I mean, we keep Ooh. threatening to do taste tests. Our, our list keeps growing, but there are four, four new Diet Coke flavors that I, I'm, I'm kind of excited to give a try. I'm excited about it, too. I, I would love to. Also, I think the new packaging is, looks very nice. I saw it in the airport yesterday. Yes, I agree. They, they they have these slender cans. The versions that I got are slender and colorful and ready for summer and ready to be mixed with the bourbon and, and rum of my choice. Great stuff. Just great, Not great at the same stuff. time. Um, House, one more story for you. Hit this me. is like This is about a novelty. The A1, you know, the A1 steak sauce, they've come out oh, with yeah. limited edition A1 meat-scented candles. There's three kinds, original, burger, Backyard barbecue, and they are all sold out. 
all gone, all sold out forever. <laughs> so I, I, I love this. And we have over the course of food news here for House of Carbs on many occasions been presented with uh, household goods, personal items that, that bear the scent and flavor of, um, of, of, of food groups. I, I really feel like we have not stumbled across a candle maker yet. And the particular appeal to me is if you can replicate for me what it smells like when I walk into my house in the morning and my wife has made a beautiful batch of bacon for my seven-year-old and that first waft when I walk in the house is of, of that bacon, if you can replicate that with you know the, the, these variations that A1 um, is putting on the table – I am 10,000% sold. You're in. One day a week, I want to walk in and smell beautiful beef. Now, here's the concern, Juliet. Yes, hit me. It, it better not have any kind of um, faint chemical candle smell. It needs to have that strong, earthy, beefy, umami, that savory, fun, a little bit of fun. I mean, I want it to smell like beef in the house. If you're if you're gonna give me a beef candle, oh yeah, of course. Doesn't it? Not you don't want it to be like candle scented. You want it to just smell like the meat. Yes. Yeah, I get you. I totally agree. I I I have high hopes for this. I also just feel like I feel like the the Japanese culture inspired this kind of thing. So many of the stories we read about were like in Japan. They had like, you know. Uh, food scented soap, and I just hope that yeah. credit credits Fried being chicken soap. yeah credits being given where where credit is due. I also I like the packaging on here. It's very like self aware. Like it says like description pairs well with dad jokes, and then warning may cause immediate hunger. I'm really into it. I think it's great. How do we get this? It's sold out, and that, you know to also credit to them. This is obviously brilliant marketing. They probably made ten. And sold out immediately of every one. You know, some very, very smart. limited number. Easy to small out. Easy to sell out that way. Exactly. How do we get at it? I I really feel like this is one that we, that's worth a test drive. We better start tweeting at them. That's that's the only way. That, it's true. Social media. That's it. House of Carbs wants to smell like meat. We're taking it there. That's that's where we have to go. That's all I got for you, House. I think it's enough. We've covered a lot of important territory today. <laughs> I'm so glad. House, it was great to talk to you as always. Always, Juliet. Can't I, wait for the next one. Talk to you soon. All right, there we go, my culinary comrades. Another fantastic edition of House of Carbs in the books and in your bellies. Please keep up. The Outstanding Belly Sourcing, how about this for an idea? You heard Juliet and I talking about summer drinks. Of course, the Juliet is always the preeminent drink of the summer. Also, my current favorite, the Fescue Rescue. Let's have some pictures, some photographic evidence of what you, your own selves, the famished friends of ours out there, the, the the thirsty I don't know what a what a, a thirsty Kyle help me out here what's a thirsty I don't know thirsty thieves parched pals parched pals yeah our parched pals how bad a producer Kaya is on point parched pals hit us with the drinks of the summer you can you can hit us primarily on the Instagram at the house of carbs we're looking for great belly sourcing sourcing from our parched pals. 
Of course, we will shall be back next week with another outstanding episode. Until then, let's stay hungry out there. <laughs>